Now, there's a lot of babies in this church, aren't there? I remember uh, I've just, I was looking around thinking, seeing all these tiny little babies, which is cool. I said to one of our Eden teams once, I was doing a talk, and uh, I said, you know what you need to do, you lot? You need to go and breed <laughs> in this tough community. And uh, it, was, it was just a bit of banter, really. But the next day, one of the girls said, uh, good news, Andy, I'm pregnant, and it's twins. It's absolutely true with this girl, Rachel. And, uh, but uh, there's something about Christian community, about actually Christians bringing up families and growing in the Lord, which has got absolutely nothing to do with my talk, but I just thought I'd say it. Um, so my talk is actually out of Ephesians chapter 6. For the last couple of years, if you've got a Bible, and if you could even wander down and pick a Bible up now or look on your phone if you want, there's a bunch of Bibles here at the front. Um, for the last couple of years, I've been um, trying to read through the Bible in a year, you know, one of these reading plans. In fact, here it is. Here's my reading plan that I tick off every day. And um, I found it occasionally that I end up speed reading just to get my, like, four or five chapters done uh, a day that I've been reading. And a week ago, I listened to this guy, and he was talking about just focusing on a passage from the Scriptures and not burning your way through the Bible and marinating in the Scriptures. And so I thought I'd do it this week. And uh, the, the verses that I've been stuck in really all week and read over and over again are from Ephesians chapter 6. Um, quite famous verses. Paul, the great apostle who wrote over half the New Testament, um, says these words. And particularly the little bit from verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. And it's titled, The Armour of God. Explain what that means in a minute. But this is what Paul said. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these words, like every word in this book, are absolutely like dripping with anointing. This is the Word of God, the living Word. There's no other book like the Bible. And I'm so glad that this church holds the Bible so in such high honor and esteem, and it should. Anyway, this is what Paul said. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I'm a big Billy Graham fan. If you go in my office, you'll see I've got various pictures of Billy Graham around my office and uh, Billy Graham went to be with the Lord in the last month, and I don't know whether any of you saw Billy Graham's funeral. It was amazing, actually. He was 99 years old, and he was a man who'd gone the distance. Uh, even, like, last 10 years of his life, he was housebound, and then last year or so, he was bedbound. He's still making these videos, and still people coming to him, and he's ministering to him, and it's a life. I love the story of this little farm boy in a place called Charlotte in America, and a bunch of Christians at a prayer meeting in a barn, and they prayed, God, would you let somebody from this village take your gospel to the ends of the earth? What an amazing prayer. 
We've been praying that for Higher Midlands, honestly, that some of these kids who really get saved will go out and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And, and then a, 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 shortly after that, a bloke called Mordecai Ham, you know, an evangelist turned up, had a mission, and uh, the last person to come forward in the last appeal was Billy Graham, and he touched the lives of hundreds of millions of people. And the wonderful stories that came through, um, you know, and I'm hearing stories, my friends, my family, all sorts of connections who, who've come to Christ through that man's ministry. A man that went the distance. But you know what? Billy Graham is unusual. Because I also heard this week that only 20% of Christian leaders finish well. How terrible is that? Only 20% of leaders actually don't give in and back off and give, end up bitter and disillusioned and disappointed and, or fall into some sin that takes them out. How bad is that? So the vast majority of people don't finish like Billy Graham. They, 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 they fall by the wayside. And you know why, why that is? Because according to Ephesians chapter 6, there is a devil and he has schemes. He says in Ephesians chapter 6, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You know what a scheme is according to the dictionary? A scheme is a long-scale, systematic plan to achieve a specific action. Now, Satan himself has a long-scale, systematic plan to stop you going the distance. He wants you to become one of those statistics. He wants you to fall away, to not make it. He wants you to give in, to back down, to pull away from full-on, all-out commitment to Jesus Christ. He's got a plan. And you will fall to his plan unless you put on the full armour of God. Unless we're people who are protected, as Paul explains here. See, we live in a very, very messed up world. And, and Satan's doing some terrible things all over the world. I mean, I was at Spring Harvest two weeks ago. And there's this woman there from North Korea. Uh, hey Woo, she was called. And uh, all she could say in English was, I love you. So I had about 10 minutes of her holding my hand going, I love you, I love you, I love you. I'm like, hey Woo, I get it. You love me, okay. But actually, this woman had spent 14 years in a horrendous uh, a labor camp in North Korea for being a Christian. Her husband had died in that labor camp. This amazing lady had planted a church in the toilet. The only place they felt safe was this filthy, stinking, disgusting toilet in a labor camp. And she's just the most remarkable. And through a translator, I heard this incredible story. And as I'm hearing her story, I'm like, how can anybody not believe there's a personal devil who's working on the earth when you hear what's going on in North Korea? Even when you look at North Korea and you see side by side to North Korea is South Korea. Now, South Korea clearly is not the perfect place, but blimey, I'd rather live in South Korea than North Korea, wouldn't you? You know, South Korea is the revival land that's gone from, in like 70 years, one of the poorest 10 countries in the world to one of the very richest countries in the world. Over 50% of that population are born again. They are the missions tour de force. No nation on earth is sending more missionaries out per capita than South Korea. No nation on earth is praying more than South Korea. I mean, there's like millions of them gather four o'clock in the morning across that nation to pray for the world. Side by side, there are these two countries. And so I also saw there was this 
uh, spring harvest and fatty. It, it nearly made me sick, to be honest. This video of Mercy Ships. Anybody heard of Mercy Ships? Mercy Ships is a fantastic ministry. First thing that happened, the first thing we got there was this video of Mercy Ships. And Mercy Ships are these wonderful Christians who've built this like ocean-going liner and turned it into a hospital. And these uh, Christian surgeons and doctors go out there and he travels around Africa just stopping off in very poor communities that have no access to healthcare. And th when they did this video, it was when the, the, you know, the, the facial surgeons were there. And there's this queue of people, like a mile long, with the most horrendous goiters and tumours, bigger than their heads, these little kids queuing up. And then the story comes through of how these people are, are considered cursed in their village and not allowed to go out without their heads covered and, and all this stuff's going on. I'm like, no, how messed up is this world? How broken is this world? Because there is a devil and he's got schemes. But God's got a plan. And when the day of evil comes, because the day of evil will come. The day of evil will come for you. It just means when the devil's ready to have a field day. And I bet you've all experienced times in your life when you've felt some of that. You know, wow, this season is hard. This season is disappointing and discouragement and even it could lead to despair. And you're feeling against it, back against the wall. When the day of evil comes, Paul says, and Paul knew a little bit about that because at this moment in his life, he's actually writing the book of Ephesians chained to a Roman guard. He's chained to a Roman guard and he's reflecting, I think, on this guy and he wouldn't have had his full armour on but there'd be lots of Romans around with the Roman soldiers who wore this, this uh, armour and he's reflecting and he's thinking and the Holy Spirit's inspiring him to write these words and he's like, you know, here I am, boxed in. I'm in prison now. There's every chance I'm going to be martyred for the faith. All this stuff's coming against me. I need to be a guy who puts on God's full armour because God's given us full armour so that when the day of evil comes, not if, when, when the day of evil comes, I'll stand. I won't be a statistic. I'll be someone who stands strong. I'll be someone who goes the distance. Don't you, don't you want to be that person? Don't you want that person? You know, like, like Billy Graham, there's no way I'm going to lead as many people to Jesus as Billy Graham did. I'd love to think it might happen, but it's very, very unlikely. But actually, I do like Billy Graham because Billy Graham, I'm convinced, heard the words of Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. And he spent the last few weeks bumping into people everywhere he goes in heaven. And they're like, Billy, I'm here. And you played a part in that. He's like, no way. I didn't know you, son. And, and, and again and again and again and again. And there's just this legacy of lives the only thing we can take with us is people i want to be someone who takes a lot of people with me i don't want to be someone who's taken out so paul says you don't have to be you can go the distance you can live a life that counts you can live a life that counts even in eternity if you put on the full armor of god and he explains the six pieces of armor sat next to this Roman guard, just weighing it all up. He says, put on the belt of truth. And Roman soldiers would have a leather belt around their waist that held everything together and most importantly held the sword, of course. And he said, the belt of truth can be like put on the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel that can dispel every lie. Be someone whose speech is truthful. You see, the devil's a liar. He wants to tell you 
that you're useless and hopeless and you could never do anything God he wants to dig up your sins all the time and remind you of past failures you know that's the devil's job but the Lord is God of all truth Jesus is the truth he said I'm the way the truth the life put on the gospel of truth belt that around yourself and you'll suddenly find I'm standing strong I'm standing on something firm here I can go the distance the truth of the gospel he says put on the breastplate of righteousness We're righteous because of Jesus, no other reason. But actually, you're looking at a, a righteous man. You're looking at a, a holy man. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus did. Because I've been made right by Jesus. You see, the Bible talks about us being justified. Paul talks about it a lot when he explains just what the gospel is. And justified, people have said, means it's just as if you'd never sinned. Actually, the good news is better than that. It's not just as if you'd never sinned when you become a Christian. It is actually just as if you were Jesus. When I march up to heaven, I'm going to get into heaven, not because I stood at the front waving my arms preaching, not because I was in a funny rap band that went into schools, not because I've led a ministry. The only way I'm going to get into heaven is because Jesus Christ has forgiven my sins and I've accepted what he did on the cross. And you know what? This morning you can do that. And everything changes. And you know what? You become the righteousness of God. You're right before God. And you're fit for heaven. Heaven's a holy place. Only holy people can go there. There's no way I can get there on my own by any amount of good works. But I put on the breastplate of righteousness. And it's interesting that the Roman soldiers it used to have a breastplate on the front but nothing on the back. And I march forward towards the enemy with that breastplate of righteousness, my right standing before God in Christ. It's something I can stand on. He says, put on the gospel boots, the shoes of the gospel. You know, Paul knew that the reason the Romans had taken over large parts of this earth was a lot to do with their armour and particularly to do with their shoes. They were called the collegia, absolutely key. Not a very good picture, actually, that. <laughs> whoever did my PowerPoint, but you get the idea. It's a rugged boot with straps up. It meant they could go over great distances in short pace of time. You know, other armies had these great big metal boots on and they were clunking along. The Romans were swift and fleet of foot. Speaks to me about readiness and preparation and firmness. The gospel gives us all those things. Talks about the shield of faith. And he says, the shield of faith, take up the shield of faith that can quench the fiery arrows of the evil one. And you've probably seen the, the pictures of, uh, of whatever, if you've watched any of these, these uh, films about Roman times, that fire, literally fire, they would fire flaming arrows. And often the soldiers would lock together their swords. They were made so they could lock together and they would together be protected from every fiery arrow. Satan has got fiery arrows he wants to shoot into your life. The shield of faith, faith in Jesus Christ that can protect you from every fiery arrow. Are you excited by that? You should be. You're going to be all right. You take up the shield of faith, faith in Jesus Christ. It's impossible to please God without faith, but anything is possible for the person of faith. There's nothing more powerful than faith in Jesus Christ. And that little spark of faith today can change everything. Take up your shield of faith. Be a man or woman of faith. He says, put on the helmet of salvation. 
And in Roman times, the helmet would be a, you know, like you could, couldn't get an axe through this helmet, but they would often be highly or ornamental as well. They'd have a great plume on them or all sorts of, and it's a picture of the gospel. It's a beautiful thing, but it's a strong thing. God's saving power is ultimately the only defense we have. I mean, actually, what can touch a man or woman who, like Paul, can say, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain? If we could get to that place where we're like, God, for me to live, it's all about you, God. And I know even if they take my life, as they took Paul's life shortly after he wrote these words, I'm just going to be with heaven for all eternity because I, I, I'm the saved. Protecting me is the helmet of salvation. I've experienced God's saving power. And then finally, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And you may notice that all other bits of armour that Paul mentions in this, in this scripture are protective. They're all protective, but the sword is offensive, isn't it? And it wasn't like a big sword, like this young man was waving about in the worship, <laughs> nearly taking me and Michelle out. <laughs> but uh, it was... It's a short, stumpy sword. It's an attack sword. It's a sword that it were in close. The short sword of close combat speaks to me of three things. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Speaks to me of, of prayer, of course. The, the, the Word of faith spoken out. You know, the Word of God, which is faith. Uh, uh, somewhere I've written down. I've left it behind. Someone wrote down this amazing quote from Andrew Murray. I read. Here we go. We must begin to believe that God, in the mystery of prayer, has entrusted us with a force that can move the heavenly world and bring its power to earth. Wow. In prayer, as we speak out the word of faith, as we speak out the word of God, you see, God's got a word over Chesterfield. He wants some Christian people to understand what his word is. He wants them to, to receive it, receive his word and speak it out in prayer. And in partnership, the kingdom advances. We're fighting the enemy with all his schemes for our young people. The enemy's got schemes for self-harming and suicide and addiction and brokenness. And the enemy's got schemes to, to break marriages up and, and break families up. The enemy's got schemes to destroy community. But we've got a little cheeky gospel sword that can take him out every step of the way as we receive our download from heaven. As we perceive what God wants to do, we speak it out in prayer. The word of God spoken out and suddenly... The church of Jesus is on the advance. Speaks to me of prayer, but it also speaks to me, of course, of the Bible. The amazing, living word of God. Every page dripping with anointing. You know, when our, our queen at her coronation, she was given a Bible 60 odd years ago. And the Archbishop of Canterbury knelt down and he said, Your Majesty, here they are. The lively oracles of God, the most precious thing this life affords. And I believe that with my whole heart. You know, this is the living word of God. They actually nicked that off John Wesley, the great evangelist in the 19th century. He said, these are the oracles of God, the word of God. And if your name's Elizabeth Windsor, you know, you've got a few of the things this life affords, haven't you? 
you know, you've got not bad diamond collection. You've got, you know, a few Bentleys and the odd racehorse. You've got, actually, you've got palaces and you've got whole country estates, haven't you? You've got trains and boats and every, you've got everything. Everything this life could afford. And yet the most precious thing that Queen Elizabeth owns is this book. It's the Bible. Something firm and solid to build a life on. It's the Word of God. Take up the sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God. Take it up. Go into battle with this. And as you speak faithfully from the Word, you find things change, hearts change, because it's a living book unlike any other. It's God's book. He wrote it. But of course, it also, it also speaks of the gospel preached, the gospel proclaimed. Take up the sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God, doesn't it? The third thing it speaks of is the, the gospel spoken out. The Word of God, the good news that God had a plan. <laughs> he unveiled it through the Scriptures, through His people, thousands of years, telling them all about this day when the Saviour's going to come, His Son's going to come to earth. And then it happened, Jesus came along, and he, this incredible role model of wonderful teaching, the greatest teaching the world's ever heard, spectacular miracles and just a life poured out and then a, a hideous death at the end of his life. But uh, the people at the time didn't realise what was happening, but that's the very reason he came. This is why I came, Jesus said, to die. And as he died on the cross, he took the punishment for all our sins. And so somebody like me and you can be made righteous because of what Jesus did. And then he rose from the dead. I mean, he really did rise from the dead. He said, I, I rose like the first of many. I rose to go and take many with me. And here we are today, part of this incredible church of Jesus. A couple of billion of us meeting around the world from that one life. See, God's got a plan. It's the gospel. And as I share that, you know, I've, I've shared it all over the world. Wherever I go, I just see life springing up. <laughs> Spring harvest last week. I, I was there like just praying with somebody. And next to me is a, a woman with a, a husband and she became a Christian 20 years ago. And uh, he, the stubborn old beggar resisted, resisted, resisted. But that was his night just to fully surrender to Jesus. What a precious thing. On that side. And on this side is a little eight-year-old girl from Holland with a, a father in tears. And there's his eight-year-old daughter giving her life to Christ. And I'm like, this is amazing, this sword of the Spirit. You know, Satan had plans for that relationship. And suddenly God's in charge now. Satan had plans for that little girl, but suddenly God's in charge. And we fight with that sword of the Spirit for Chesterfield, don't we? We go out with this gospel. Billy Graham famously had what they called the tree stump moment. You know, there was uh, two young evangelists right at the start of his ministry. And... Uh, and uh, one was called Charles Templeton and the other one was called Billy Graham. And Charles Templeton was a better preacher than Billy Graham. You know, was gathering larger crowds. And yet he started to get all these questions. All these questions around the gospel and all these questions around the Bible. And he started picking away at Billy's peace. And, and uh, there was a moment when Billy was like, oh, do I still believe this anymore? And he went out walking in the forest and he knelt down by a tree stump and held his Bible and said... I'm going to preach this gospel as long as God gives me breath. And I'm going to believe in your word, all of your word. I'm going to build my life on this word. I'm going to try and be 
this faithful man of prayer. And he had his moment by the tree stump where he just laid it all down. And, and Charles Templeton went off and became a statistic. He lost the plot. And he didn't change the world the way Billy Graham did. And it wasn't because Billy was more talented or better looking or had better resources. It was just that full surrender.